everyone, and welcome to the Forecast Fest. I'm Kate Baldwin, here with John Avlon. Hola. And Harry Enton. Shalom, my friends. We're here again. I'm impressed he could bring the energy because yeah, no, you are so tired today. I, you, You've been on a marathon and that's still that adult. Because tones. only Harry has to pull long hours on elections. No one else has no, to work no, in CNN. So no, let's all talk about it more. You know, but, but in fairness, he did the late night and the early morning. I was on with him at five or some guy. And I or, did it from D.C. and now I'm back in New York. And no one in the universe of working adults or working parents has to pull late nights or early mornings. You know what? It's not my fault that I do not have the child. It is your fault that you think only you can be tired, though. Anyway, I love you. We're here. (laughs) Well, after last week's debacle in Iowa, New Hampshire held their first in the nation primary, and it did not take a week to get the results. What? Tuesday, Bernie Sanders took the lead, with Pete Buttigieg not far behind. And there's a lot to be learned from the vote totals and the exit polls. We'll dive into that. And then we're going to look ahead to next week's Nevada caucuses and get Harry's forecast for that state. And Mike Bloomberg is rising in the polls. He is also facing renewed scrutiny for his controversial stop-and-frisk policing policy when he was mayor of New York. This time, the anger is over how he talked about the policy in 2015, remarks that have just resurfaced. Let's start, though, with New Hampshire. The final totals out of New Hampshire for our friends who aren't glued to their televisions or their phones. Bernie Sanders won 25.9 percent of the vote. Pete Buttigieg, 24.4 percent of the vote. Amy Klobuchar, third place, 19.8. Elizabeth Warren, 9.3. And Joe Biden, after that, yeah, I not, think is just not, how we say it. Uh, I know you actually. This Joe Biden is in the place where, when you're reading it online, you have to click "See Further Results" to see his results. You got to flip That's the board. That's where we are. That's yeah. where we are in this. Okay, what is the most important data point that you're seeing coming out of this? You know, I Harry. think the it, honestly the most important data point that I see coming out of it is you know you mentioned Biden. I think that's one obviously for a former front runner finishing in fifth place in. New Hampshire after finishing in fourth place in Iowa, not exactly a place you want to be. And look, Bernie Sanders is, for all intents and purposes, the front runner. But to me, the key number here is that he won with just 26 percent of the vote. In New Hampshire primaries, you go back in history, that is the lowest percentage in the modern era on either the Democratic or Republican side for a winner to take in New Hampshire, just 26%. It is the first time on the Democratic side in the modern era in which three candidates got rounding here, at least 20% of the vote. This, to me, is another sign of the absolute mess that is the Democratic primary currently. What has you jazzed? Well, I mean, look, I, I think that's such an important context to have because people are saying Bernie won. It is far from that simple. You have a but very But a win divided. is a win. Well, a win is not always a win because, first of all, there's delegates, as we know. Second of all, um, the real surprise of the night uh, is Amy Klobuchar, um, who came in with a very strong third place showing, uh, leaving Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden in the dust. Her campaign had been really struggling to gain traction, even though she kept doing well in debates. She is in the top tier now because really of her her last debate and because she's made a strong centrist appeal throughout the the uh, election and Pete Buttigieg as well. So what you have is what's really struck me was despite all the energy being on the far left, if you look at the New Hampshire cohort that turned out, according to CNN exit polls, the, uh, the voters this time around were less likely to call themselves very liberal than they were four years ago, whereas moderates 
uh, actually made up a greater percentage. And if you add Buttigieg and Klobuchar, you you really see the strength of the center. I think also Elizabeth Warren coming in fourth is very tough. And it's just a reminder, let alone Biden in fifth, and it's a reminder of how surreal this whole cycle has been. If two months ago, three months ago, four months ago, we would have said, look, the election, if you had to pick play, come down to Biden versus Warren and maybe Kamala Harris with a really strong outside <laughs> line. Yeah. And instead we're talking about, you know, Bernie in pole position with Buttigieg, you know, right on his back, Amy Klobuchar out of nowhere, and Mike Bloomberg looking in the wings. It's a totally different field than people would have thought, you know, three, four months ago. And exhibit X, Y, and Z of anybody who tells you how how a primary and election is going to go has no is lying to you or yep. has no idea what they're talking about. Like, we don't need to even need to see another example of that. I I. Including you were talking about Klobuchar and Buttigieg. Klobuchar and how, momentum. There were there are like few there are a few options. It's either Klobuchar. It's either Klobuchar. Hmm. There's uh, sounds like something like a skin disease. Klobuchar. I like Klobuchar. No, Klobuchar. No, no. There's there's a few. We should test them out and see um, how goes. momentum. Buttigieg I still like that. I'm kind of into the extra. Uh, I'm not sure why. Um, but anyway, we'll get into that. I like we need. Klobuchar, what? by the way, had a great uh, slogan in her uh, grade school campaigns. What? All the way with Amy Kay, which I think is still a very good slogan. That's, she's, she's ditched it. That's She's ditched it. All right. Well, maybe Sadly. maybe it was one of her first elections. She couldn't reverse yeah. that one again. Okay, but wait. Let's talk about Buttigieg and Klobuchar because <laughs> you see that it appears that on the liberal side, they have coalesced around Bernie Sanders very clearly, in as we see in New Hampshire. But now you have moderate voters – they're looking at both Buttigieg and clearly New Hampshire. They're definitely look, having a strong look at Amy Klobuchar. And I clued in on the messages that those two candidates were offering up in their speeches at the end of the night on, on Tuesday night. Let's play that for you. Americans want the freedom to make choices for themselves on health care or on any other issue, not to have Washington decide for them. And a politics of my way or the highway is a road to reelecting Donald Trump. Vulnerable Americans do not have the luxury of pursuing ideological purity over an inclusive victory. Donald Trump's worst nightmare is that the people in the middle, the people who have had enough of the name calling and the mud slinging, have someone to vote for in November. So similar message. They're obviously appealing to similar voters. And I'm, I'm when I saw that, I'm struck. Does Bernie Sanders have Amy Klobuchar to thank that he actually won this race? I think that yeah. he probably did. I mean, given that the margin is, you know, about a point and a half and Klobuchar came up so strong after the debate performance against Buttigieg. And, you know, the tracking polls, which actually did a pretty good job of capturing at least that Klobuchar had momentum at the end, right at that end. showed that Buttigieg perhaps was trailing off just a little bit. So I think the argument can be made there. But, you know, I want to take a step back. You know, we're talking about this ideologically. I also think that Klobuchar rising hurt Elizabeth Warren. They, uh, despite the fact that obviously Warren is appealing more to a left 
a left part of the electorate vault. Klobuchar is appealing to the center part of the electorate. They're both really appealing to white women with college degrees in the suburbs. And you sort of see, if you listen to Warren's speech in New Hampshire after the results came in, she actually called out uh, uh, Amy Klobuchar at least once, I believe actually twice. And it seemed to me that there was almost this friendly thing. It was quite kumbaya. It was very kumbaya. <laughs> I, okay, kumbaya. I had a different take on the message. Keep going. I want to hear your take. But, but no, I, I just sort of saw that and said, you know, this might be the example of we've sort of been talking all along. How is this primary exactly breaking down? And yes, there's definitely that ideological angle in Bernie getting nearly 50 percent of the very liberal vote. But there's also this college cohort angle. And the fact is that Amy Klobuchar did very well among those with a college degree and Bernie Sanders, not so much. Right. While Pete Buttigieg actually, despite our belief that he'd do better among co- those with a college degree, actually kind of got good amount of support from both. I was so I had like cynical Kate and then attempts at non cynical Kate listening. <laughs> attempts, to Elizabeth Warren. Attempts, at Kate. Non, attempts at non cynical Kate was like that was a very magnanimous speech from Elizabeth Warren in saying that yep. people ran we ran a good race. Any any of us would be we need to hold each other up, not beat each other down because we need to take on Donald Trump and her uh, giving a shout out to Amy Klobuchar. Like that's what you do when you uh, when you think a woman can't when you well, it was something like. The, she's an example of what you can do when you kind of um, second guess what a woman can do or something like that. It was a really it was like a very cool message. But then Cynical Kate was thinking, you know, what's up next? A caucus state. And Elizabeth Warren would oh, like to be ever, would like to be everyone's second first second choice. I don't know. We won't know until you know what it's there. all politics. That's the end of the you know, these are people that are also practicing <laughs> wow. campaigns. Hold on. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> You know, I like the, to break all, news. Is it, is it, is it all going to come I, down I, to turnout, no, too? No, I just did my life. <laughs> the four for four at Wendy's. You can also get it there. I'm breaking that right here, right now. Oh, my God. I love it. Okay. What about the fact that in terms of New Hampshire, that you have those three candidates, Sanders, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, that basically finished one, two, three in the entire state? What does that say? I mean, it was like Warren and Biden weren't even in the race half the time. Can someone can can someone answer me the question of where Elizabeth Warren's campaign is supposed to go from here? The what the reset looks like? I think that's a really I think that's an important question. What does a reset look like for Elizabeth Warren, who says that she's been running on the same message since she was back being a professor and, in college, and, and who has run a had run a very good campaign, energetic, yeah, connecting with crowds, policy driven, um, and really seemed like she was surging. You know, albeit too early uh, in in the fall. It's very hard to say, look, she's a neighboring state senator. You had two of them in this race. Typically, they do very well. She came in a distant fourth. Yeah, well, yeah right, um, right. And it's not clear that she's going to be able to make it up in Nevada or in Nevada. Uh, Nevada. I mean, I I love you so much. You got I, a week to get this right before we I, you know you what? off the island. I you know, apparently I, I got a I got a mental freeze on that one. <laughs> South Carolina, which is not a state where I think she's she's you know a, a natural fit. And then Super Tuesday, it's very hard to see uh what her path forward is. Um and, and I think again that's crazy because she really set the tone and pace for so much of this campaign. Yes. Biden, I continue to think while a fifth place finish is really rough for him, um I think he can. I think he can hold out till South Carolina. Right. Uh, momentum matters a lot. It's still you know two weeks away, but it's incredibly unclear who among the other top tier candidates can have anything like a credible ability to connect with the African American community. Bur- uh, the Biden campaign sent out talking points to surrogates, and CNN got a copy of them. And one of the things that they 
one of the talking points is this is this is just two contests of many. Ninety nine point nine percent of African-American voters have yet to have a chance to vote. Ninety nine point eight percent of Latino voters have yet to have a chance to vote. Um, And they're right. I I think I think at this point, though, though, all of the evidence is to he is in trouble. I think it is ridiculous to count him out right now. I I think that that's the difference of the case between Warren and Biden, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, right? Warren was from next door. And yes, Bernie Sanders was from next door. But remember back in 2004, both Howard Dean and John Kerry were from next door to New Hampshire. And they finished one and two. Warren finished all the way back of the pack. And it's just how does Nevada or South Carolina sort of fit her base, which tends to be whites with a college degree? There are not very many of them in either Nevada or South Carolina versus Joe Biden. At least it can say, you know what, there hasn't been a state so far that's voted that has a significant share of non-white voters, particularly African-Americans. So I, I think the case for Biden perhaps having a ray of hope is certainly brighter than Warren and the national polls being that Biden is still usually a second or a third, usually second, even the few first, obviously backed it up versus Warren, who's all the way back. Let me make a couple other points just about what struck me out of the exit polls, mm-hmm. because that's we're, we're nerds about this stuff, and this is a safe place to talk about it. But it is, uh, you're in a safe space. We're in a safe place. Look, um, uh, among party ID, um, you know, Sanders did very well among Dems, but among independents, which I'm obsessed with, open primary, um, you know, Sanders did well, but also Buttigieg did. He beat Hillary Clinton among independents by a three to one margin four years ago. So not only did his to- he got less votes this time around than he did uh, in 2016, um, but his edge as an independent got really decreased. Among people who said that oh, who candidates could better unify the nation, Buttigieg and Klobuchar won. Sanders a very distant down that. Also, among the idea that Bernie was going to bring new people into the process, uh, first time voters, as Harry pointed out this morning on New Day, actually broke for Buttigieg pretty decisively. And young voter turnout is down. Yeah. So, you know, th- these are all counterintuitive, but but I think it's important to keep your eye on that ball. I would just point out, obviously, you know, without a Republican primary, the independents who are coming in are different than they were four years ago. But that actually backs up John's point to the extent that these are voters who might actually be swing voters, not just independents who are like, I don't really like the Democrats, but I'm actually really liberal. These could be a lot of true independent voters, people who might actually cast about for Republicans. Or as Pete Buttigieg likes to call them, future former Republicans. That's a good line. It is a good line. I say it all the time because I think it is. It's got a nice it's a nice turn of phrase. Just a quick shout out before we move on from New Hampshire to Andrew Yang and Michael yep. Bennett, who... End of all, Patrick. End of all, Patrick. Thank you very much, who made a run for it. Michael Bennett spent a lot of time in New Hampshire. He he did the all eggs in the New Hampshire basket. It did not pan out. But I think Andrew Yang um, was a fascinating candidate. Absolutely. Uh, I think he brought some really interesting, unique ideas, and his support showed that there you don't have to run a traditional race to actually get attention. And also Michael Bennett, he had a great message throughout in terms of trying to unify the party over and over again against Donald Trump. I'm talking about a good message for Democrats. I'm not taking a side here. Right. Um, and just a nod to them as they uh, they fought hard. They fought well. They spent a lot of time, and they ended their campaigns. Amazing. <laughs> oh God! What's happening? Can, can I just make one serious point about that? Yes. Bennett shows, though, that you can spend a lot of time doing retail politics, and it doesn't necessarily matter. Mm-hmm. Momentum in media and being on the debate stage is the key. Even though I've, I've tried to argue the contrary. Yeah, but, but time. clearly, I, I think that that's one one thing. Second of all, because he didn't even place right. Andrew Yang. Uh, it's not the last we've heard of him. And I got to say, for a guy who has 
had no political experience. And I published his first article when his book came out and he, I saw him and he's like, oh, I'm going to run for president. And I was like, of what? Mm-hmm. Um, look, it, it, he was running as a essentially, although his supporters would get upset about this, a single issue uh, advocacy candidate. Uh, all what went, do you mean? A thousand dollars every month? I mean, yeah, like well, that's UBI exactly- and, and anticipating the role of AI in, in the economy. He had probably the most successful single issue candidate uh, certainly of the modern era. Unbelievable communication and message, dis- message discipline. So not the last we've heard of Andrew Yang. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Harry's forecast coming out of Nevada. I'm very interested in that. Plus, we're going to talk about Mike Bloomberg, as we mentioned, his rise in recent polling, and also then this renewed scrutiny on a very important issue that he has answered, but clearly not to a satisfactory level for many, um, about his record and time as New York City mayor. That's up next. Let's move west, friends, and talk yeah. about Nevada. <laughs> talk west, about Nevada. Thank you very much, John. The next contest in the Democratic primary, Nevada's a caucus state, and it all kicks off February 22nd. Harry, give folks the lay of the land, please. So, you know, I think that there are a few things that we should understand about Nevada. First off, take a look at the polling average that we had before Iowa and New Hampshire voted. So Biden was up in my average of polls, 22 percent to Sanders is 20 percent, Warren at 13 percent, Steyer at 8 Judge at seven. And of course, that makes some sense when you consider the fact that Nevada as a state is much more representative of the party than either Iowa or New Hampshire, at least racially speaking. Around 60 percent of the electorate back in 2016 was white. That versus 90 percent plus in Iowa and New Hampshire. Furthermore, think Think about this. Latinos make up a little less than 20 percent of the vote. African-Americans make up around 15 percent of the vote. If there's one state, if there's one state in the early states that looks most like the Democratic Party, it is, in fact, Nevada. But here's, I think, the warning. You know, warning. I mentioned, I mentioned state. well, it is a caucus state. That is a very interesting sort of thing. With they the have done away threshold. with the app, though. They were going to be using, just to remind folks, they were going to be using the The same app that Iowa used. And they were like, you know what? I think we're not going to do that. I don't know what that means. We'll see soon. But here's the thing that I just want to point out, you know, about Nevada. And that is take a look at how the polls looked in 2008 before Iowa and New Hampshire voted versus after Iowa and New Hampshire voted after Obama won in Iowa and came in a close second in New Hampshire. Before Iowa and New Hampshire voted, Clinton had a 18-point lead on Barack Obama in the average poll. After Iowa and New Hampshire voted, that lead shrunk to just four points. So the real question on this forecast is Hmm. how much this year did Iowa and New Hampshire affect the results? If it looks anything like 2008 or really anything like 2016 on the Democratic side, although the polls previously had Joe Biden ahead, my guess is that the new round of polls will not be so friendly to him. How does the historical kind of precedent, how is that impacted by the fact that this is moving ahead in a – it's a much messier, 
lineup than when we were looking at Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama in 2008. Like there, you know, this is going through Super Tuesday with a whole mash of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the real question, right? Which is if we look so far this year, the types of bounces we've seen have not necessarily been all that predictive. In New Hampshire, you know, Buttigieg got about the bounce that you might have expected. Perhaps a supercharged bounce a little bit. Sanders. He got like multiple bounces out yes. of Iowa. I mean, like, it's like it was like the best of all worlds for him. Um, versus Sanders really didn't get too much of one. But then you look nationally, right? And what you see? You didn't really see Sanders get that much of a bounce out mm-hmm. of Iowa. And Buttigieg got a little bit of one, but it was, in fact, Bloomberg, who we'll be talking about a little bit later, who got the largest bounce out of anyone. And I think that sort of gives you an idea of why we need to be a little cautious, why we really do need to see that first round of polling. We've seen a number of different candidates do well. We saw Klobuchar doing particularly well in New Hampshire versus Iowa. So let's wait and see exactly what happens. But I I will say that I don't believe that Joe Biden will be leading in the first round of polling coming out of Nevada after uh, New Hampshire has voted. So, so my my two questions are: um, what what's the role of of the unions in Nevada? Because Nevada strong. Um, yeah, well, I, I know that. Yeah, I mean, you know, but short but, answer. But are are they determinative? Because there's been some uh, uh, buzz that, that they've got actually a problem with single payer because they're Huge losing problem. some of what they've negotiated. Right. So the culinary union, which is, right. I, I think we can argue, the most powerful yes. union, just came out to go against Bernie Sanders, saying that if Bernie Sanders is president, th- that he's going to take away culinary health So that's a very big deal because the far left has bet on union support, particularly in yeah. caucus states. Yeah. That may not materialize. The other thing is... Does Harry Reid still have any influence in the state? And if so, who's he going to back? Uh, I, I don't. I believe he does. I mean, he's, you know, sort of the godfather. Uh, I don't know who he's going to back. He obviously he has staff worked with Joe Biden for like five decades. He worked with Joe Biden, but he's his staff has gone out to numerous candidates, including Warren, including Sanders. Uh, he hasn't really necessarily had all that many bad things to say. Uh, he did sort of get culinary to get behind Clinton in 2016 and sort of helped take her over the top in that state. And I think, you know, we just go to culinary over and over and over again. You know, you talk about someone like Klobuchar, right, who has no real organization outside of the early states, even in New Hampshire. She didn't really have that much of an organization. They're trying now, but. Right. She's trying now. But let's say culinary is like, you know what, we're going to go. That's our ticket. That's an organization around five seconds that just builds right up. Oh, that's interesting. Very interested to see if they actually decide to get behind one candidate instead of basically having an anti-Sanders message, which they certainly have so far. But So what does the Democratic Party look like in Nevada? If, if Is it, it, it kind of – I'm going back to your question. Like is it all union driven? Is there – any is there any other is there any other game? I, I don't. A lot of old folks. Yeah, a lot of old yeah. folks. A lot of retirees are are, are out there. The LDS is actually pretty prominent mm-hmm. in Nevada. Yes. Um. And and uh, so th- that's one of the things that and, and plus the X factor of the caucus. But traditionally, people think of it as being a Latino and union driven caucus. Yes. Um. And and I got to say one thing. You know, Democrats have. Uh, despite Tom Perez being the head of the DNC, have, have run a real danger of taking the Hispanic vote, Hispanic vote for granted. Um, and it's really unclear which of these candidates uh, is is doing uh, the most consistent outreach or will do the best. I mean, I them. think in Nevada it would be Bernie Sanders. Yes, I agree he with has, that 100%. He has definitely spent time – I mean, I think – I think pundits would say quietly prioritizing Latino vote. I think not quiet at all. I think people just haven't been paying attention to the events that he's been holding with Latino voters. What? So what? here's why I call BS on that. And, and BS it may, for BS? It, yeah, it may, it may be. It, 
Interesting. Um, Mind blown. (laughs) Mind blown. Look, uh, one thing, and this may be more of a national point, but one of the reasons uh, the Trump administration keeps hitting Venezuela so hard isn't just because uh, they care about Venezuela, um, but, you know, particularly in Florida. So, you know, in the Hispanic community is not a monolith. um, There are a lot of deeply held bad feelings about socialism and socialist dictatorships from Venezuela to Cuba uh, that the Hispanic community really has felt personally. And and there's a tone deafness on the part of a lot of Democrats to it, witness Bill de Blasio praising Che Guevara uh, and Calle Ocho and not working out so well. And, and, and Bernie Sanders has a long history of praising the Chavez Maduro regime and the Castros, hasn't come under a lot of scrutiny for it, but it's part of his his record. I don't know if it'll make an, an impact in the Nevada uh, Latino community, but we'll see. Well, I'll just say this in closing, and that is that Bernie Sanders actually did not do too poorly among Latinos last time around. They basically looked like the rest of the party in terms of their voting patterns. Latinos, compared to the rest of the Democratic electorate, are overwhelmingly younger. And that's a real appeal point for Bernie Sanders, who obviously does better with younger voters. And just to note, in New Hampshire, among non-white voters, although they made up a very yeah, small no, piece what, of the What are we pie, talking about here? Very like small piece 10 of people? the pie. Yeah, very good. Uh, Bernie Sanders actually won them overwhelmingly, doubling Joe Biden's percentage in among non-white voters in New Hampshire. Good. And obviously going into Nevada, that's a decent sign for me. And it's, I'm really interested to what this means in terms of support when we head into South Carolina. But we've got plenty of time yes. to talk about that. Let's switch gears, though. Mike Bloomberg has been on the rise in recent national polls, and he could possibly he could very possibly appear in the next Democratic debate. But this all comes right as a recording of uh, remarks that he gave in 2015 have resurfaced. There weren't they weren't secret. They've it's been known, but resurfaced. Where Bloomberg is defending his controversial stop and frisk policing policy from the time that he was New York City mayor, and it's not necessarily that. He's defending it. It's the terms he uses in defending the policy, which were really quite crude. Yeah. To say the least. He has apologized. He did. He apologized for his support of the policy um, that has been deemed unconstitutional and also found, obviously, to primarily single out communities of color. He apologized then again once this recording came out here. His, the apology that he said is, I have apologized and I have taken responsibility for taking too long to understand the impact it had on black and Latino communities. But this issue and my comment about it, my comments about it do not reflect my commitment to criminal justice reform and racial equality. What do you do with this? Well, look, I, again, it it has been widely known that he was in favor of stock, stop and frisk. He did de-escalate it. It was a policy inherited from the Giuliani administration, but he did defend it um, and, and subsequently learned that crime decline was not predicated upon this discriminatory policy, um, at, at least you it know, didn't in work. The later stages. Well, it sorry, it, putting it was more, not necessary. Right. Putting more to, officers in communities, on the ground in communities, did show evidence right. of and, helping. And, and Ray Kelly, his, his, his longtime police commissioner, was a pioneer of community policing. In any case, like crime decline began under Rudy Giuliani, continued rather dramatically to decline under Mike Bloomberg. Here's what's interesting to me. This tape is bad for Mike Bloomberg because of the terms in which he's speaking. Um, That said, I do think he can make a case that his actions don't fit those words. And you got two issues. One, the compared to what problem with Donald Trump. Donald Trump has, I think, made people really numb to crude statements and gaffes. And no, I think it's hard to imagine any any candidates going to look racist or insensitive to racial issues compared to Donald J. Trump. But is so, it a different standard again? It, it, it may or may not be. But here's what I also think okay. is interesting. 
Bloomberg has been doing phenomenally well in the endorsement game. Yes. From African-American mayors uh, from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco to the Congressional Black Caucus. He just Lucy picked up McBath, three today, right? Correct. Lucy McBath, Greg Meeks from his hometown, uh, and, and a handful of others. So th- that that indicates to me, and, and McBath came after this tape was released. Exactly. Three came after. Meeks came after. Stacey Plaskett came after from the Virgin Islands. I mean, look, policing is very important. Criminal justice reform is very important. Anti-gun violence, uh, being anti-gun, yes. being gun, being very big on gun control, that was the big reason Lucy McBath, who obviously ran to Congress based on that issue, that is an important issue for Mike Bloomberg. He is— Oh, he supported her campaign. Right. Exactly. And that's what he did with a lot of them. He yeah. put a lot. He put his money where his mouth was. Now, he has a lot of money to do that. But the fact is, if you look at the polls, if you look at those southern states, what do you see? You see that's where a lot of Bloomberg support is coming from. He's jumped up north of 15 percent in the state of North Carolina. A poll had him leading in Arkansas. Granted, that's not too heavy of an African-American population for a southern state. But what you're well, seeing is I mean, for a southern state. For a southern state, okay. it's a major qualification. Yeah. Well, Compared I to New put Hampshire? That, I mean. <laughs> I, I put the qualification. Yes, know, you know, did. Know, you did. Um, but the point, the point generally being here is that m- the reason this tape was re-released is because all of a sudden Mike Bloomberg seems like a player in this Democratic he primary. He is going to be a player. The, the strategy, which was kind of a Hail Mary, he decided not to run in March, got in late, has the money to do it, skipped the early states, which I think are going to be on the ash heap of history anyway because of the way Iowa and New Hampshire have gone He's down. He's going to benefit from a coincidence of a debacle. It, it possibly, like. but it's a very fractured field. Um, and, and if he comes in with national television advertising, a strong stake to the center lane, how does the mayor of New York compare to the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana? Mm-hmm. Um, how, you know, it, it, I just do not count Mike Bloomberg out. So this could he could be in actually the poll position after after Super Tuesday. A, a recent Q poll on where in terms nationally. When it comes to the Democratic candidates and their support amongst African-Americans nationally, Biden support nationally 27 percent amongst black voters. Uh, Mike Bloomberg, 22 percent. So I'm talking about they want to beat Donald Trump. They mm-hmm. want to beat Donald Trump. And this is a guy, for better or for worse, is going to throw up a bill. Or, yes. Yes. But additionally. Yes, ma'am. Is this um, low information Low information coming in yet on Mike Bloomberg. Well, I does got... this do, do you think in this uh, post Trump in this you know Trump re-election and re-election environment that the remarks, the crude nature that he talked about this policing policy that once folks learn more about it, this number drops, or do you think that this that as we love that term that no one uses outside of media that it's baked in? I mean, how many frickin' statements did Joe Biden make over the course of the campaign that did not seem to cook his support with African-Americans? It wasn't until Iowa, New Hampshire, where it turns out he was a loser. Difference there is he's had a long history, long, long history of supporting the African-American community. Well, I tell you, yeah. that that is true. But Mike I will Bloomberg's say this. history is different. No, Bloom- Mike Bloomberg won like 45% of the African-American there, vote in a real act. That is correct. In 2005, if okay. you look at a Pace University sort of exit poll type of study, he won north of 45 percent of the African-American vote as a non-Democrat in New York City. OK, so this is irrelevant. This becomes no, I'm irrelevant? Not saying it's irrelevant. I, I, no, I'm, it, I'm not it, it I'm has not trying to nowhere be near the stickiness it would typically because of Donald Trump, because of mil- hundreds of millions of dollars being spent, because of the endorsements he's getting from folks in the community, yeah. because of his commitment to gun control. I don't think it's going to be the kind of disqualifying statement. It might be for another candidate in another time, not even a little bit. 
All right. That's my guess. Uh, That's a wrap for us today. Thanks so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. And in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at Kate Baldwin. I am... At John Avalon. And you, sir? I'm at Forecast Renton, also on your Instagram dial, though I don't post anything to Instagram. It, like I it do. all, so don't even waste your time. Your account, Special thanks to our team now. behind the scenes, Lauren Moore, Raj Makija, Zach St. Louis, <laughs> and David Toledo. We'll see you next time on the Forecast Best. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.